0: Okay, we get, we uh, in John chapter 14 tonight continue uh, our study uh, through the I am's of the scripture, uh, particularly the Gospel of John, where John has written down uh, statements of Jesus and where Jesus says, I am. And is that what you have? No, we have 11. It should be John chapter 14. Change that on your, uh, I wonder what, no, that's last week's. So that didn't get changed. On your outline, put your references, John 14, 1 through 6. Okay? Oh, we have a typo. Okay, so... Again, I remind you that Jesus made that great statement. John records this for us where, where the uh, religious leaders of Sanhedrin uh, really challenged him. And, and Jesus talked about Abraham and they said, well, you're talking about Abraham and, and you're not even 30 years old, but you're talking about like you, were, like you know him or you were there before him. And Jesus actually said before Abraham was, I am using the name of God and they became very upset with him up to including leading to the time when they would they kept trying to find a way to do away with Jesus now in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John once again, John records for us one of those I Am statements of Jesus, particularly it's in verse 6, and we'll get there in just a moment. But I want to set kind of the background, because it's very important to understand the context of what's going on here, particularly. This is not just like uh, some of the other teachings uh, where, where Jesus said, I am the shepherd, or I am the door, that, or I am the bread of life. We talked about those different things. This becomes a very specific teaching, and he's clearly speaking to his followers specifically in context he's speaking to his disciples they have gathered in a room that has been provided and Jesus is very close to the time that he will be going to the cross and you can imagine or maybe maybe it's hard for us to imagine all the things that might be running through Jesus's mind as he is going to share with these guys the things that they're about to see and uh... how they, they would be completely overwhelmed at what they're going to see is going to happen to to Jesus To me, it's clear as you read the the gospel account that that the disciples really didn't, even up to the time of Jesus' crucifixion, in resurrection even, they really didn't have a clear idea about who Jesus was. They trusted him. They followed him. They gave their life to him. uh, But I don't think they quite had a grasp of why he actually came, why he would actually die. What What was that all about? Uh, Clearly, we have at least two zealots who were in in Jesus' group of disciples, and the zealots were for the, uh, well, the violent overthrow of the Roman government. They would take up arms and stuff, and two two of Jesus' followers were that. One was even called Simon the Zealot. Uh, So... And many people believe that, that Judas Iscariot was also a zealot. So th- they were for that, for that overthrow of the Roman government. And they, they believed that when Messiah came, he would set them free from oppression. Well, they were right about that. What they were wrong about is that Jesus didn't come to set them free from political oppression. He came to set, set them free from the ultimate oppression. That is the oppression of sin. And so they missed that. So here we have recorded for us by John just prior to the time that Jesus would go to the cross and he would die, and, he, and Jesus knew that his his disciples would 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 see all kinds of uh, of things, and and uh, Jesus calls them to to uh, uh, love one another. He talks about, uh, he identifies his betrayer, so uh, clearly by this time when he said in John chapter 14 that that Judas is not there among them, uh, there's a little bit of uh, uh, discussion where even Peter says, you know, if everybody else forsakes you, I will not forsake you, and Jesus sort of challenges him. And then they sat down, and Jesus shares these words. And these are pretty powerful words. And what I like to think about these words is, is yeah, they're, they're specifically for those 11, if you will, but they're for every follower of Jesus. They're for every child of God. They're for us. This I am tonight is an I am of assurance for we who are followers of Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And it goes on. The discussion doesn't just end there because one of the disciples again said, I think it was Philip, said uh, well Lord if you just show us the Father then that would satisfy us. We'd know everything's okay. And then Jesus' response was have I been with you so long that you don't know if you've seen me? You've seen the Father. So you can see there's a lot of confusion in that room. And even these men who had spent three years, uh, some, some preachers say the most intense seminary class that anybody's ever been in, and saw all the things that Jesus did, even up to the end of his physical life here upon the earth, uh, his disciples did not quite understand him. They did not even understand why he had come. It was not in their mind how this, could, how this could fulfill the promise of him being the Messiah. By the way, it's still very confusing to the world today. When we talk about Jesus who died for our sin and, and who rose from the dead, and they look at you like you have a third eye, they don't get it. And To us, it's the most wonderful message in the world. We're so grateful to, to God for what Jesus did, and, 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 it, and it makes sense to us. I don't know that we can, full, we can even fully explain it, but it makes sense to us, and we're grateful for it, but the world doesn't get it. <clears throat> and the disciples did not get it in this time either matter of fact when Jesus went to the cross what happened to all the disciples well it's recorded for us that there was only one disciple that that even went to the place of Jesus' crucifixion all the rest of them scattered and they hid including Peter You remember Peter who said Lord I'll never deny you I'll never, I'll never turn away from you and yet he, he did he ran and he hid Jesus is speaking in the heart of, of his followers, including us. And there are some key things because he is the I Am that he wants us to know tonight. And i want to break this down and we'll talk about this tonight. The first thing that he wants us to know is because he is the I Am that we can have true, peer, true peace. Uh, the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Okay? Which means he is the Lord over peace. And by the way, peace is not necessarily an absence of conflict. I want you to hear that again. Peace is not necessarily an absence of conflict. It's a a heart that rests in the One who holds all things in, in His hand. So Jesus says to His disciples, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. And He, because He knew that what they were about to see would cause great trouble in their heart. And then He makes this statement, He says, You believe in God Believe also in me. You trust God, trust in me also. You're about to see some things that are going to shake the foundation of everything that you've seen for the last three years. And it's going to bring you to a place of doubt. It's going to make you wonder if, if you threw your life away to follow me. It's going to make you wonder whether or not I am the Messiah himself. Now you can imagine, put this in, a, these are real guys in a real world. So let's suppose you were followed somebody that you really consider to be Messiah, and all of a sudden he's taken away and he's crucified. How would that leave you feeling? Especially when you didn't quite get that that's the reason that he came. You've given your life to him, you followed him, you believed everything that he's told you. You've actually seen him raise people from the dead, doing miracles that were incredible. But at the same time, how could he be Messiah? And die like that. How could he have all power, which he told them, and yet be overcome by, by the civil power that, that, that beat him so badly and impaled him upon a cross? How can these things be? Can you see how this would be a very troubling time for Jesus' disciples? Have you figured out yet that God doesn't always do things the way we would do them? Have you ever thought about if you were God? I mean, you say, oh, pastor, I would never think that. But have you ever thought about if you were God? To me, it'd be much more simpler just to say, okay, y'all are okay, boom. But that's not how he did it. You have the revelation of the immensity of sin when you look at Calvary. See, the, the truth is that man, for the most part, makes little of sin. We've learned to rationalize it, we've learned to justify it, we put it in categories that, where we feel self-righteous about it. And the, the, the reality of sin does not hit us like it ought to. And one thing that Calvary does is it brings us, it brings us to that place where we realize that sin is, is greater than we can imagine. And the cost of it is enormous. And when you think about a holy God, a righteous God, uh, dealing with sinful creatures, what could possibly bring us back to a place where we could be right with God again? That would certainly be a high price. And I remind you that when we think about Jesus going to the cross, you know, there are those who would, would, would want you to believe that Jesus is just one of many ways to get the cross. And that's be coming up here in just a little bit in the message. But, but you know, if, if you really think about it, if there are many ways to God, then God would be a very cruel God. I mean, to put his son through what his son went through, if there are many ways to him, makes no sense at all. Actually, it makes him very cruel. The Bible says that Jesus died on the, on the cross for our sin because he loves us. Hebrews tells us without the shedding of that blood there's no possibility of any forgiveness of sin. He carried our sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. All these things are part of the plan of God. And apparently, even though my mind cannot fully conceive it, this is the only way that it could, it could happen. This is the only way it could happen. And it's incredible to me that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, was willing to do all of this for us. And to go through all this for us. But as we go through life and as we see even the the horrors of of, of this sin-fallen world, Jesus would say to us, You believe in God, believe also in me. He says to the disciples, Believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me. Trust me as you see all this. Trust me as you go through all this. Trust me to be everything that I told you I am. I believe that's the message of Jesus. And when we trust Jesus in the midst of all the things that happen in this world, even some of the the most ugly things that, that the world gets to see, when we trust Him, that's when peace comes upon us. Again, it's not absence of conflict. And it's not the absence of, 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 of necessarily bad things or horrible things or cruelty. And all the things we see in the world. You know, at times you just wonder when everything's going to explode or implode. One of those two things. And it's very sad when you watch what's going on. And, and it almost makes you wonder if, there, if there's somebody behind all this. Somebody that's just trying to destroy any sense of, of, of decency. In our, in our communities and, and in our country. Uh, someone that's behind the scenes pitting people against each other. Whether it be on the basis of race or, or stature or standing or, or jobs that, uh, 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 that people have. Could there be somebody behind it? And my answer would be, yeah, there's somebody behind it. And Paul tells us that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities, but never be mistaken, that those principalities and powers which are led by, by the enemy of your soul, he has no problem using flesh and blood, using people to, bring, to, to, to fulfill his diabolical uh, plan. He's about our destruction. Unfortunately, most of the world will listen to him instead of listening to the voice of God. And instead of people trusting Jesus, like he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't get carried away in trouble. Trust me. Believe in me. And instead of people trusting him, we will try to fix it ourselves. But no human being has the answer for what's messing up our world and our country today. No human being. Not Mr. Obama. Not Mr. Trump. Not Mrs. Um, what's her name? Clinton. They don't. And, and it's it, it's kind of... Unfortunate, I think, even for Christians to think that any one of those people could have the answers. That doesn't mean God can't use all those people. But the church needs to get back where we understand that our truly our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Because what if what if it does all implode? What if it does all explode? And what if we're here for a while after that happens? Where are we going to find our security? Where are we going to find our peace? Where are we going to stand? It's just like these disciples. Where were they going to stand? On that Friday or Thursday, whatever you believe that it happened on, when Jesus went to the cross? He was gone in their mind. He was dead in their mind. Where were they going to go? And it's clear that they were in fear for their lives from the officials because they were hiding from them. And maybe some of the words that Jesus said echoed in their mind. Listen. If servants are not greater than their, than, than, their, than their master, if they kill me, they'll kill you. If they reject me, they'll reject So maybe those were echoing in their head too. Oh no, they've taken our master and they've killed him. We're next. You can see how that would play out in their minds. So where were they going to turn? How were they, they going to face that? And Jesus tried to give them his peace. Now jumping ahead, even in the same gospel, maybe you'll remember that after, after the resurrection, the disciples were gathered in another room. You remember that? They were there. They were there, afraid. They were hiding is what they were doing. In that other room, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to them. Does anybody know the first words that Jesus said to them? Is well, fear not. There's even a little bit more of that. Is it, it, did he not say, peace be unto you? His first words were words of, from fear and a place of peace. And you remember that Thomas wasn't there that first week. And so Thomas didn't believe. And then the next time they gathered with Thomas, Jesus appeared there too. And again, he said, once again, as he appeared to him, my peace be unto you. My peace I give to you. If there's something that's desperately needed in our time, and in our families, in our churches, and certainly in our country, and this world, it's the peace of Christ. We desperately need that. And we need to understand what it is. Because if not, we will let... I can get a little bit of ring there. Um, because if not, we will let circumstances and situations determine how we act and react. And that's not how Christians are supposed to live their lives. We're supposed to live our lives in response to who Jesus Christ is in us. Everybody understand that? How many of you find yourself at times, I do, find myself just merely reacting to a situation, a circumstance? Maybe someone who says something or does something that I don't like and and, and what comes out first of all for me is Tony. And what the world doesn't need is Tony coming out everywhere. What the world needs is, is is a man that is led by the Holy Spirit of God so that when things happen... It is the very truth of God, the love of Christ, and the peace of God that flows out and through us. So Jesus offers to us, and Jesus, who is the great I am, offers to all of his followers his peace. And that peace is found when we trust in him like we trust in God. Alright? The second thing. Look at verse two with me. After he after he shares this with him, trust me. Then look at what he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Now, when I use this text sometimes in a memorial or funeral service, you know, we love that. We know that when that person's gone, that God has, has a place of eternal provision for those who are his father, followers. But, lacking anything spectacular happening tonight, we're not going to go to heaven right now. And I'm not sure that that was his intent completely when he talked to his disciples right there. Now, I'm sure that they were worried about dying. Okay? But I see this as even bigger than just the promise of an eternal home. I see this as Jesus promising to his followers because he is the I am, complete provision. Now, here's what I mean by that. Jesus tells them, in eternity, there's a place that's already prepared for them. Or a place that he's going to go and prepare for them. Right? In my father's house. Where my father is, there are many mansions. I'm telling you this because because I'm heading there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So what he's saying to his his followers is, is ultimately, you're okay for eternity. Now, I want you to get this. Everyone in this room that is born again, here's here's the promise of God. You are okay for eternity. You belong to Him, and you are in His hands, and you're okay. Now, in the midst of life, and the troubles of life, and the turmoil of life, and even the ugliness of life, Jesus is trying to say to His disciples, and I think He's trying to say to us here, not just look to eternity and say, okay, heaven, I get that, but, but to know that, here's the point. If He provides for eternity, don't you believe He provides for today and tomorrow? If, he, if He's got eternity taken care of for us, if, it, if it's a guaranteed thing, if, if He thought enough in His love for us and His provision for us to provide eternity and to guarantee that, why do we doubt Him about today? And about tomorrow who in here can 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 promise much to anybody past well maybe past today <laughs> certainly not for eternity see when I tell someone they can know that they have forgiveness of sin and eternal life that's not my promise and I, I would encourage you never to leave anybody thinking that you're the one that's promising or guarantee because you can't do that it's God's promise And when we start, it's kind of like when we talked about creation this morning. And we thought about, how big is your God? Is He a God who's able to speak out of nothing that which which exists? And is He a God who holds time and eternity in His hand? And it is funny to me, and I'm as guilty as anybody else, that I can trust God for eternity. And I do. But I have trouble trusting God for today and tomorrow. For my kids. For my grandkids. For his church. You know what I'm saying? Anybody struggle with that besides me? And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. Not just a, he's not just saying, okay, someday you're going to die, you're going to be damned. He's going to deal with the fact that once it's over they'll get to come in the next verse. But I think more than that right here in this passage, he's saying, don't worry. Don't be troubled. Why? Because I already have your eternity in my hand. And if I have your eternity in my hand, I have your today, and I have your tomorrow, and I have the rest of your life in my hand also. To me, that's an incredible truth that that hit me in preparation for this. And, And to be honest with you, you just brought me to a place of a little bit of shame. God, why can't I trust you for all those things? Why do I struggle with that? Although I do think it's a universal human condition, even of we Christians. We know we're saved. We know he's all-powerful. I mean, we we can take the test and pass it, right? We know these things about God. But the application to get it off the page and into our life is where we struggle. And by the way, we're not alone in that struggle. I hope that encourages you. I believe that's part of the reason why He gave us the body of Christ. Why He gave us one another, to encourage one another (laughs) as we follow Christ. Anybody ever been weak in the faith in here? Anybody ever struggle with your walk? Anybody ever been hurt by somebody? Of course we have. Part of the reason that the body has been given to us is that, that, that hopefully it's a place of healing a place of encouragement. We know what the Word says. I'm always careful uh, to encourage people to be careful that we so easily throw a verse at somebody. Now listen, I'm not saying that the Bible's not powerful. I believe it is. I'm certainly not saying that I don't believe the Bible has the answers because it certainly does. But sometimes we treat it as Almost like some sort of uh, supernatural incantation that if you'll just, if you'll just receive this verse, everything will be okay. But it's more than that. It's more than that. And I think Jesus is saying to us and to his disciples here in the second verse, the 14th chapter, I'm, I'm going to provide for you. Matter of fact, it's even more than Jesus is going to provide for us. It is that Jesus is our provision. So if they take everything away from us, Jesus is no less our provision. And I hope that we can get that. And I think that's what he was trying to say to his disciples here. I am your provision. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be filled with trouble. No matter what your eyes see, I got this. Let's go to the third thing that he says here in verse 3. He says this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, Jesus said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's recorded for us in the book of Hebrews. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise of God. He will never leave us or forsake us. And that's not just in this world. Now we step beyond this world and we move into eternity. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, and that if there is not a question of whether he will, he's already stated that he will. And there are some translations that would actually say, "Since, since I go and prepare a place for you, or because I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Isn't it comforting to know that he does have our eternity? Isn't it comforting to know that we are going to get to spend eternity with Him? You ever thought about heaven? You ever wonder what it's going to be like? You ever anybody has any loved ones in heaven? A lot of us do, don't we? We always wonder what they're seeing right now. What's it like for them right now? Here's what we know about heaven. Apart from everything else, it's a place that we get to be with Jesus apart from everything else. And it's funny that valuable things of this world begin to diminish when you're in His presence. I always like the thought of, you know, we think the most valuable thing on this earth is gold, and in heaven gold is asphalt. We walk on it. So, you know, it, it, it's Jesus. And we have the promise that we're going to be with Him. And I think this, this promise has, has stirred on a lot of those who've come before us who are actually willing to give up their physical life for the faith, to make sure the faith continued on. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs of the early church, and you see many of those who died. The book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter, where we have the great list of those of faith, and as it closes out that list of faith, of people we actually know from Abraham to David, and, and you know the names that we know as we've read the Bible and stuff, then it moves into this little this category, if you will, a people with no names. People this side of heaven, we will never know who they are. I, I believe we'll know who they are in heaven. Because we'll know all when we get there. But these people, he doesn't give names for, if you read that 11th chapter. What he says is that they were, they were put upon. That they were beaten. That they were tortured. That they were killed. He says they were sawn in two. This is how he describes them. We know of some of the disciples that were filleted alive. That were boiled. I mean, we can go right on down the list of, of the horrible atrocities that men can do to other men simply because they're followers of Jesus. That's craziness. But that's, that's, that's where it is. And, and these great martyrs, here's what the book of Hebrews, here's how it closes out that section. It says, of whom the world is not worthy. How do you stand as a believer when the world turns completely against you? When they threaten your family, when they threaten your life, your very life. How do you stand? Where do you find your faith? Well, hopefully we find our faith in Jesus, but also in the the very words of Jesus, because his words demonstrate who he is. And the promise that he gives us here is that since he has gone to prepare a place for us, he has promised a day is going to come when he will come and receive us unto himself. And here's what's true. Everybody... We'll meet Jesus in death, except for maybe if the rapture happens, which would be kind of cool. How many of you think, how many of you ever thought, I want to be raptured? And most of we say, I want that because I don't want to die. You know, but but, uh, the truth is, and and I always tell people, you know, who promises that he will come for us? I mean, we've seen the, the old spiritual stuff, the angels coming for us and they're coming to take us home and stuff. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus' promise was, and since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. By the way, that ties in with what we looked at when we talked about him being the shepherd. It was God who said that he would lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not going to send an angel. I mean, I don't have anything against angels, do you? Hope not. But they're not the first face I want to see. They haven't done anything for me. I mean, they've been nice, I guess, and maybe they give me messages every once in a while. and Maybe they protected me. I don't know all the things that angels do. I mean, you can read all kinds of books about that. But it's not about angels. It's not angels who will come get us. When we close our eyes in this life, I sincerely believe, because of what he says right here, that the first face we'll see will be the face of our Savior. And ultimately, that will fulfill everything that we need. Now, because He is the I Am, He has promised us His eternal presence. And last week when we talked about Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, this is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of that. Because John 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting. Everlasting life. What we looked at last week, Jesus said, If you believe in me, you shall never die. Yet everybody that was standing there when Jesus said that has physically died. And save Jesus coming back for us in a rapture, we will physically, physically die. But he says, If you believe in me, you shall never die. So he's not talking about physical death there, he's talking about eternal life and the promise that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. For we Christians, when we physically die, we we do not step into death, we step into life. Ever thought of it that way? The veil is pulled back and we leave the temporal world behind which knows nothing except pain and hurt and limitations and, and ultimately death? And we, he takes us through that veil of death, but on the other side is not death. On the other side is life. That's what he says. If I go, since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, let me ask you this Do you believe Jesus is alive or dead right now? Is he alive? Well, so if he's alive, what's he promised you? Just by this statement. You have people who teach stuff like soul sleep and, 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 and even annihilation of the soul. And, and this life is all that there is. And when you die, you are no more. Uh, all those kind of teaching. Well, the Bible doesn't teach those things at all. Paul reminds us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the promise that we have. And Jesus says when we, when we leave this world, he's the one who's going to come for us so that where he is, we may be also. I think it's kind of cool to think about mom and dad being in the presence of Jesus. I I just think that's pretty cool. You know, I have a a little granddaughter that's in the presence of Jesus. She only made it about a month. Okay? And, And she was never physically born. But you see, I believe that life begins at conception, so I believe that precious little one. I'll get to see her. I don't believe she's going to be a perpetual baby. She's going to be complete. You know? But it'd be nice when this wonderful person comes running up to me and says, Papa, in heaven, I don't know. It's all those kinds we think about. Heaven, our minds cannot conceive the wonder and the glory of it. Every promise of God that we have in Christ Jesus leads us to this place right here. Because, because if there is no life beyond this life, well, we're a pitiful people. It goes on to what he talked about, the resurrection. We talked about it last week. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then we, we, we're, the most, we're the people most, most to be pitied. We're just spinning our wheels and it's sad to me to think that there are people out there that, that, that they cannot conceive nor do they want to conceive. They want to believe that this life is all that there is and and you know it's just it's just not doesn't go with what the scripture says. So Jesus reminds us in here that he is our peace. He is the I am who is our peace and he is the I am that that that, that is our provision and he is the I am that that has promised us uh, an eternal home. He is he, he is uh, he has promised us his eternal presence. Now why can He do that? How can He make such promises? And we go back to the theme of this whole sermon series. He can make those promises because He is the I Am. There's only one who can make such promises. Only God can make such promises and, 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 and fulfill them. So when he stood before the Sanhedrin and said, I am, before Abraham was, I am, and he declared the name of God for himself, and it is true, he's either a blasphemer or he's God. He's either Lord or, as others have said, he's a lunatic, thinking he is the Lord. And. He makes this statement when his disciples say, Lord, I I hear what you're saying. I hear that you say you're going to be our peace, and I hear that you're saying you're going to be our provision. I hear that you're saying that you you have prepared for us an eternal place, and and we are guaranteed to be with you because because of your promise. Uh, uh, But Lord, we still don't get this. We don't know where you're going, and we don't know how we're going to get there. And I just sincerely believe that Jesus' heart melted within him, and, and not from a place of anger or disappointment, but, but for this great opportunity to pour into the life of these 11 men this truth that we're about to, to speak about. I, I think from a heart of compassion, Jesus makes this statement. I don't see it as a statement of, to beat people over the head with on Jesus' part, but a statement of, of truth. He wanted his disciples to know this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can come to the Father except by me. All these things he's saying at the end of that passage right there, all these things that he just promised them, because he is the great I Am, are guaranteed through him. No one can come to the Father except by me. Now, he claims three things in verse 6, and let's look at them very quickly. Jesus claims he is the way. You notice the verbiage that he chooses to use there. And by the way, he's talking about eternity here, folks. So if he's talking about eternity, and he says that no one can come to the Father except by me, and he claims, I am the, the way, then he's making a statement. And he's making a statement of exclusivity. When he says, I am the way, he's actually saying there is no other way. He does not say in here, I am a way. He certainly does not say, I'm one of many ways. He makes a statement of exclusivity by saying, I am the way, and no one can come to the Father except by me. Again, we go back to the reality of the cross and why Jesus died upon the cross. Because there was no other way. And a matter of fact, if you'll remember Jesus' prayer to his Father in the garden before he went to the cross, isn't that what he prayed to his Father? Lord, Father, if there is any other way that this could be accomplished, Lord, would you allow this this cup to pass from me? But nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So if there's any question in anybody's mind whether or not, This is the only way, and Jesus is the only way. The scripture lets us see that it is. Even in Jesus' prayer in the garden, we see that God's answer was, This is the only way. Which translates to us that Jesus is the only way. He's the way. Secondly, it says of Jesus that He is the truth. How many times have I shared with you that this wonderful book that you and I get to read out of and stuff is it, about Him. It's about Jesus. It's about who He is. He is the revelation of God's truth. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, what does it say? It says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he reminds us that God's truth is not just found on the pages of a book. And I'm glad we have the book. I'm glad we get to read it. But, but again, His truth is revealed through the existence and the life of His Son. He, Jesus is, if I can put it Jesus is a very personification of the truth of God. And one of the key things when you read the Scripture and try to under, understand the Scripture, certainly the Holy Spirit's got to be there with you, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, will always help you understand the Scripture and interpret the Scripture in the light of who Jesus Christ is. And the revelation of of the truth of God through his son Jesus Christ was so foreign to the religious leaders in Jesus' time that when the very word of God stood before them and he personified the very truth of God, they were so far away from God's truth and so far away from God's word, they did not recognize him for who he was. And it is always my earnest prayer that that could never happen in the church, though I believe it happens in churches all the time. Would we recognize Jesus if He walked in our churches? Would we receive Jesus if He walked in our churches? Would we welcome Him? say, well, that's an impossibility. Well, okay. But then change the question. Because if we believe what the Bible says, He says, where two or three are gathered in my name there, I'm going to be also. So it should be that every time we gather together to worship, to study, to be together, that Jesus should be there, right? I wonder if he's welcome. That's why I think in Revelation chapter 3, when the church of Laodicea, it's the saddest verse in all the Bible. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. We use that for evangelism, but it's not evangelism verse. He's not talking to a lost world there. If you read it in context, he's talking to his church. To the, church, the lukewarm church of Laodicea. Where's the Christ of that church? He's on the outside, knocking on the door, asking, can he come into his own church? Jesus said, I am the way, and not only am I the way, but I'm the truth. I am the revelation of the very truth of God. I am the personification of the Word of God. That's why John puts it that way. And then he says this, I am the life. I love how he puts it, because he doesn't just say, I give life. Jesus does not just infuse us with life. Jesus is our life. Why, Why do you have eternal life? Because you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. He who has a son, 1 John, he who has a son, what? Has life. He who does not have a son, does not have life. That's pretty straightforward and simple. If we have the son, we have life. It's again not this idea of a Savior, a Messiah, sitting somewhere afar off and saying, Zap, you got life, Zap, you got life, Zap, you got life. It is a personal Savior, a personal Messiah, the personal Christ who lives within us, and He does not just give us life, He is our life. So He says, I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. Apart from Christ, there is no life. Anyone who's not in Christ, listen, anyone who's not in Christ is dead. Because there is no life apart from Christ. That's why we teach that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. And not because we hate other groups, and not because we want to exclude other people. I hope you share the gospel and the message that we're talking about tonight, because you want to include people. To me, it's the greatest expression of love that you can ever share with anybody on the face of the earth. Is to tell them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many times they don't want to hear it. And many times they will reject it. And many times they will actually even turn it around and say, You're so hateful. You think Jesus is the only way. What about this group? What about that group? What about this? You know, we, they do all that stuff. You Christians, you hate those people. It's not that we hate those people. But I do believe it's an expression of hate if we refuse to share what we know about Jesus Christ. I remember many years ago, the first time I met a man by the name of, of uh, Barry, uh, Barry Berger. How many of you know Barry, have ever met Barry? He's been here to the church. He's a Jewish man, and he is a—he he always presents himself as a a a, a, a Jewish man who's a, a Jewish man who's a believer in in Christ Jesus. And he'll tell you his testimony. He was—he was born again, saved in an all all black Baptist church in the south side of Chicago. That's where he came to faith. And Barry's not shy about, he never was shy about his faith. Well, Barry's with Jesus right now. Okay? But one of the things that Barry says almost every time he speaks, particularly to a group of Gentile believers, is he says this. He says, if you hate the Jewish people, if you hate the Jewish people, then don't tell them that Jesus is Messiah. Just tell them they're okay because they have their own religion, they have their own way. And by the way, that holds true for every other religion under the sun, folks. If you hate the Islamic people, tell them uh, tell them Allah and Muhammad are the way. If you hate the Jewish people, tell them that they don't need Jesus as their Messiah. I mean, you can put it in any category you want to. If you love, if we love, we will tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we love them, we will tell them that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That is our message. And I remind you, once again, it is our primary message to a lost world. Getting in theological arguments with the lost world is an exercise in futility. because they can't know the things of God. We've got to share Jesus with them. And we share Jesus because we believe what He says here. We believe He is our peace. We believe He is our provision. We believe He has... He has we have the promise of His eternal presence uh, after we leave this, this world. And we believe that He is the way. We believe He is the truth. And we believe He is the life. We believe that He is the great I am. And that belief, that trust, that biblical response to him should change who we are and change how we see other people and change what we share with other people. It brings us to the place ultimately where we agree with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. See, he so much believed this truth about Jesus that we're talking about, that he is a great I am, fulfilled in all these things, that he was willing to say, you know what, I believe this so much that there's there's no way I'll ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I do believe that it is the power of God and the salvation for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. How can I be ashamed of such wonderful truth how can I be ashamed of a God who loved me so much that He sent His Son? And how can I be ashamed of a Savior who went through all that He went through so that my sins could be forgiven and I can have everlasting life? You see, to me, this, this is one of those key verses, which for me anyway, which pulls it all together. Which really puts it in, in perspective for me. And it begins to help me to stop looking just inside. And start looking to others. Because God loves them too. And God wants to touch their lives too. And for some reason God chose us to share with them this gospel. So they they can know what we know. So you bow your heads with me tonight? I'm going to pray for us before we leave this place tonight. And just pray that we'll do what Jesus said during the first word. We believe in God, let's believe in Jesus also. Let's don't walk as troubled people. But let's take this wonderful message that we have believed and received and we are secure in because it is His Word. And let's share it with people wherever God takes us. Father, I thank you for our time together tonight, for all that are gathered in this place, and and again for the other groups that are meeting. I ask that, that, that you are working mightily in them and they are receiving what you have for them. Now for this group, Lord, I pray and I believe that you've spoken to us through your word. And I believe that as we've gathered here, your Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts. And I'm so grateful for that. Now, Lord, may tonight not just be an exercise of gaining knowledge that we leave in this building. But once again, Lord, that we might apply these truths that you have revealed as the great I am to us. So that we might take this wonderful message of love and hope and forgiveness. And share it with the world you've called us and you place us in. Lord bless those who are gathered here. Help us to walk as your people. Help us not to be consumed with being troubled, but help us to trust you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.